Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Stand this morning out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Then the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking him to do them a favor against Paul that he might summon him to Jerusalem. They were preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. However, Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me and accuse him if there is any wrong in this man. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the judge's bench, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. While Paul made the defense that neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned at all. Then Festus, wanting to do a favor for the Jews, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem, there to be tried before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you can see very well. If then I am doing wrong or have done anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. Father, thank you this morning again, Father, for this privilege we have to be here on this beautiful Lord's Day. God, I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross this morning, Lord, so that your word may speak as only you can. God, we know that it will not return void, but will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. God, hedge this building, these grounds with your protective angels, purge anything that would not honor or glorify you so that you are the sole focus of everything said and done this morning. Lord, above all, we thank you for Jesus, that blood that was shed so that this morning we can come boldly into your presence as objects of your mercy. We commit all this to you and we ask it in Jesus' precious, righteous, and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So verses 1 through 5 again. Three days after Festus arrived in the prophet, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Then the chief priests, the leaders of the Jews, presented their case against him, and they appealed, asking him to do a favor against Paul that he might summon him to Jerusalem. They were preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. However, Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself was going to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me and accuse him if there is any wrong in this man. Leads the first thing that I want to share with you this morning, and it is this. No matter how continual the attacks, God is ever faithful. You'll see that I skipped chapter 20, was it 24? 
Because it's just, it's over and over. You see Paul, he's just over and over again with these baseless accusations being hurled against him. What is this theme that you see really just played over and over again in, in Acts? It is the righteous being accused of unrighteousness with no basis. That's going to be your life if you are a follower of Christ. If you have a stance against anything other than the biblical definition of marriage, you know what's going to, you're going to find yourself in this culture? You are going to find yourself the object of ridicule, of scorn, of being accused of all sorts of different things merely because you have a biblical defined and you have a, an ability in yourself to trust that God's word is what God's word is and you stand by something that doesn't change like the winds do. So I say that because if this is your stance and if you stand with scripture, you are not only going to find yourself out of step now with our cultural norm, but you're going to ever increasingly find yourself pigeonholed culturally because as more and more things become okay and accepted, the more you find yourself out of step with scripture. What do I know about culture and time? Things change. Culture changes. You can go all throughout history. We know what the Bible says. The Bible says that when Noah was getting ready to jump in the boat, right? God was going to divinely put him in there, shut the door with the animals. Things were not looking too good. The Bible says, so were in the days of Noah. So will be at the what? Coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, do you think that Noah was celebrated as a trailblazer? Do you think the world and culture around Noah was celebrating his triumphant spirit and his willingness to do over and above what everybody would have thought was crazy? I guarantee you Noah was ridiculed. I can promise you he was mocked. He was laughed at. Noah did not have a workshop that this boat was being built in so that no one was able to see what he was doing. If you look at the scale of what Noah was doing, there was going to be no one that did not know what he was doing. Now, why would it have looked so out of step? Did Noah build that boat on a lake? Did Noah build that boat on a floodplain where they had experienced vast flooding in past? No, it had never rained. So what do we know? I will tell you, even as a believer, if we were sitting back during that time, he would have looked like a complete fool if we didn't understand what God was doing. You would have said, is this guy losing his mind? Where's this flood coming from? I can imagine the mocking tone with which people would have mocked him. You think people were hearing the message he was proclaiming and falling on their faces in repentance and great revivals were breaking out in the time period that Moses, or Noah was building the boat, the ark? No. As a matter of fact, how many converts do you think he had during that time? Zero. I can promise you one thing, though, and I know this with full certainty. The first raindrops that ever fell, I can 
guarantee you, were the rallying cry for every person that had mocked him to go instantly, oh no. You know what else I would like to see? I really actually wish I could see this. I would like to see the fingerprints inside the tar, the pitch, in the, where the breech board on the ark. Can you imagine how many people had tried to clamor and claw their way inside of the ark? You know why? Because all of a sudden, there would have been a divine understanding, a divine revelation in the realization that this man was not the fool they were. And see, in our culture right now, it's hard sometimes to be a Christian because you can see yourself so out of step. And if you're a normal human being, there's this innate desire to be liked. Anybody else battle that desire to be liked? Yeah, a lot of people do. Even Christians battle that. We want people to like us. I don't know anybody in here to go. Well, I've heard people say that, but I know the reality of it. I don't care if nobody likes me. Yeah, I've heard it before, but trust me. We can say that. But in all reality, people want others to like you. Unless there's something inherently wrong with you, you want to get along with other people. Well, we know where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is peace, right? So we have this desire to want to get along with people. See, to be in love with the world is going to be an enemy of God, Scripture says word for word. So that's going to place us every morning we wake up as culture continues to drift farther and farther from a desire to base the culture on truth. We are going to find ourselves farther and farther out there with a smaller and smaller group of people. So the days of Noah, so be at the coming of the Son of Man. And we're going to find people mocking what we believe and what we stand for and what we represent. But you know, no matter how continual the attacks may be, as we see with Paul, God is ever faithful. What will he do? He will sustain you. His promise is to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. God's going to never leave us and never forsake us. We have that promise of God. So what do we do? Stand steadfast, armored up in the word of God as Ephesians shares. And it's so important because if not, there is a dangerous battle that can ensue where we'll end up going, well, I'm going to just not be so direct because, you know, it's my mission field and, you know, I, I like this person, though they're living in a life and a lifestyle that's completely uh, and it's a, in complete defiance to God's word. You know, they're, they're really nice, and I know their heart. they got a good heart. And you find yourself at a place of compromise where if you're not careful, you'll end up yourself. The Bible talks about how we should be careful that the deceitfulness of sin does not harden our hearts. It is a continual, in God's presence, in prayer, God, armor me up, protect me. Ramparts, you know, you've heard me mention that a lot, those big hills on the outside of uh, cities or, or fortified structures, these ramparts to keep what? The battering rams from being able to go and then batter the walls of the city. But these hills were a protectionary thing. You think about spiritual moats, thinking about all the protection that we need to have. That's what spiritual armor does. It protects us against the enemy's desire to destroy everything that we represent. This picture of Acts is one after another after another. Paul, from the time he was Saul, 
on the road to Damascus, God's call to him, and shortly after he recognized God had a plan for him, and it was faithfully carried out, and every step executed beautifully until the day that Paul laid down his life for the gospel, for the kingdom. We look at Stephen, a man who was at odds with the culture around him, because why? He cared more about the hearts, the souls, and the lives of the people than them liking him. His dying prayer, God forgive them for they know not what they're doing. How profound as he sees heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Praise God. What a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness even at the point of breathing your breath. His God was right there in the midst of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God was right there in the midst of it. That same promise this morning, church, applies to us. Listen to verses 6 through 8 again. So when he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, seated at the judge's bench, he commanded that Paul be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who'd come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. While Paul made the defense that neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I sinned at all. Leads the second thing that I want to share with you this morning, and it is this. When surrounded, be still and know that he is God. When surrounded, you think about it, when it, how many times has anybody in here been accused of something you did not do? I've got a lot of people. Do you remember the feeling when you heard for the first time someone accusing you of something that you had not even done? Sometimes it's so salacious that you're just, it's like it shocks you. That another human being could be so cruel. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was walking in the hall at, at, at the place I've been working, and there was a, a young girl who was weeping. I mean, bawling. And I came up next to her, put my arm around her, and I said, are you okay? And she said, some people are so cruel and mean. And I shared with her, I said, you know, and it's a very, very young person. I said, you know, just remember this. The sweet spirit you have, this person's a godly person, just loves the Lord. I've been able to have lots of conversations about the Lord. And I said, listen, don't let the enemy use someone else's mean and bitter spirit to steal the sweet, precious part that God's given you in that spirit. I said, because if so, I've known so many people that become embittered, angry, hateful, and resentful. I said, the joy that you are able to demonstrate is like nails on a chalkboard to some people, especially when they're out of obedience with what God wants them to do. It's as if they thrive on misery. And I said, you don't worry about what other people say. You worry about being who God created you to be, and you let the rest of that go. And when someone's mean-spirited, you pray for them, as the Bible says, amen? Pray for them. And when they accuse you of something that you have not done, consider yourself blessed. The Bible says that you have been found worthy to suffer for the name. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and people are accusing you of things you've not done, you know that it's a, it's a vain attempt, can be a vain attempt by the enemy or an effective one. 
Don't let it be an effective one. You let those people that are living like lost people live like lost people, and it should give you a greater ability to pray for them. Pray what? Pray that God would bring them to the truth. Pray blessings on them. Well, how do you pray blessings on someone who has said things about you that aren't true to try to get you in trouble or to cost you your job or whatever it might be? Well, the only reason you do that is because God's Word commands you to. How's that going to feel the first time? I'll tell you, because I know, I remember the first time I had to do it. It's like taking a 50-pound box of quarter-inch roofing tacks and putting all of them in your mouth at one time and then talking. That's how it feels. I'm not going to lie to you. Because it is so counter everything that the human condition wants to do, it goes against everything that the human, apart from the spiritual, thinks is rational and reasonable. So when you start praying blessings, blessings, on someone who did that to me, does it not look like complete lunacy to the world? It does. Because it's not what the world is, and it's not how the world behaves. The world says, I'll get you. That's what we do good. Amen? That's what that sin nature wants to do, so that then we destroy our testimony, and we never reflect God's glory and let the world see Jesus lived on us. But when you start praying blessings on those that despitefully use you, bless and do not curse, when you do that, you're doing exactly what God's commanded us to do. And then you don't fall into the temptation to be, I referenced it maybe Wednesday or last week, whenever it was, the unmerciful servant. We flee from that temptation to do with the parable of the unmerciful servant where that person was forgiven a lifetime of debt. Someone owed them a day's wage. They go out, see that person, and begin choking them, saying, give me what you owe me. We actually go and take captive for the kingdom territory when we pray blessings on people who've hurt us. We're doing exactly what God's word says, but you know else? We're breaking the temptation to walk in the flesh as opposed to the spirit. When we walk in the flesh, we're not walking according to God's truth. We're walking according to sight. We're walking according to the Gibeonites when the the deception the Israelites did when they made that pact with the Gibeonites because it looked like a duck, smelled like a duck, quacked like a duck. The same thing with us when somebody's been mean, someone's been spiteful, somebody's hurt us, I'll get you. Don't you wait, I will get you. I'll get you when you least expect it. A lot of hear that world say. But that is in no way the life or lifestyle if we want to live in obedience under the submission to God's perfect plan for our life. We can't do that. We do not wage war, Scripture says, as the world does, do we? Our fight is not what? Against flesh and blood. Principalities, rulers, dark forces in the heavenly realms. That's the battle that we're under. And the weapons of our warfare are what? Not carnal. We don't fight like them. We don't wage war like the world does, church. We have to let the world see the polar opposite, the differentiation between us and the world. Not easy. But listen, when we're surrounded, just be still and know that he is God. Rest in him. Trust in him. 
Does that mean that you have to enjoy that situation and go, wow, Lord, this is wonderful. Oh, there's nothing better in my life that I'd like than people to hurt me and people to accuse me. And, oh, this is wonderful. No, you can say, Lord, I don't like this. And God, I realize now even greater why you sent Jesus to break the grip of sin. And Father, I remember when I was lost and how easily it would be for me to live and act and and act out like the world does. But God, I know, and Lord, strengthen me by your might, your power. Let me walk not in my flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and quote scriptures like Colossians 3. If you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And when you're setting your affections on things above, not on the things the earth began to, to feed, which man? The spirit man. You're not feeding the sin nature, you're feeding the spirit nature. And that's why one of the reasons that it's so important for us to spend time in God's word every day, because how are we ever going to react the appropriate way if we don't know what that way is in the first place? Why do we hide God's word in our heart? Well, Scripture says that we might not sin against the Lord. So if we don't know what God's plan is concerning when you're angry with someone or you have unforgiveness, Matthew chapter 18, someone's offended you, go to them. Do what Scripture says. Don't go to 10 of your best friends first and then go to them. No, don't go to 15 of your best friends and talk about it and then ultimately never go. No, You've got something against someone. Go to them as Scripture says. You know how many things could have been averted or prevented if people merely followed the blueprints of God's Word and how to handle conflict resolution? Do you know how many churches would never have split if members would have merely done what Matthew chapter 18, I talked to somebody this week who is at odds with the the church they're involved with. And they said, you know, I don't, don't know what to do. They're calling for counsel. And I said, well, I, I don't know if you've even thought of this yet, but you should have gone to this person already with this statement that they made you. Why have you not done that? And then you have the opportunity then for them to either say, go get lost and pound dirt or to say, oh, well, I've had this against you and, and I need to tell you this. And then you can apologize for it because they said, if I've done anything, I would apologize. I said, well, you haven't gone to them. How can you have ever presented the opportunity for them to let you be an instrument for the kingdom, for them to recognize that they've even done something to hurt you in the first place? If you don't go to them, they can't know. And that's the thing about it. How many people or holding stuff against someone else that that person has no idea that you're mad at them. Is there anybody in here right now that would not want to know if you've hurt someone? Anybody in here go, you know what, I wouldn't want to know so I could make it right if I've hurt somebody? Throw your hand up. Exactly. How many people in here right now, if you have hurt someone, would want more than nothing else for them to say, hey, you hurt me. You said this or you did this and it hurt my feelings. Anybody? Yeah, that's what you want. You want the ability to make things right, but if we don't do that, how can we ever have a cohesive relationship structure with people, but more importantly, that we do what God's Word says? It's easy to be a hearer and so deceive ourselves, but what does Scripture say? Be a doer also. Very, very important thing, and that's it. When surrounded, be still and know that he is God. 
act in a biblical way, handle things the way God's word says, because what you do is take the power out of the enemy's desire to destroy. Destroy, destroy, destroy. How many weeks it's not been that I've heard about another church closing all over this nation. Churches after churches after churches closing. Oh, you hear about some starting. I know that. There's some great bodies of Christ that have been able to help be starter churches or ones who've gone in when churches aren't doing well. But how many of those churches that are closing week in and week out had people merely done what God's word said and they would be thriving right now? Not just surviving, thriving. Spiritually right now, are you surviving or are you thriving? I know one thing, if you're not in God's word, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are not thriving today. Do you desire to thrive? If you say that you want to spend your eternity in the presence of God and you don't have 15 minutes a day to get in God's presence and hear him speak to you, do you really honestly want to tell me that you really want to stand and listen to him for all eternity? Do you want to worship around his throne when we can't find 15 minutes out of 24 hours a day to get in the presence of the one that one day there will be no more time. We will spend all of our time in his presence if you are a child of him or he will give you the desire you have, which is to spend no time with him, separated from him. The choice is ours. I know there's times when people think I beat the horse too much. It's like beating a dead horse with the Bible. I continue to talk about reading the Bible, the importance of it. I will not apologize for it because it is imperative. And I want for you what I experience. I cannot not read the word. If so, it's a quick race to the bottom. Really? My attitude goes south faster than milk spoils when it's sitting out on your counter. I have to read God's word every day. It starts with attitude and it goes, I don't care if it's hours late. If I was in the middle of something with someone, no, I can't. I've got to read the Bible. I have to. I have to get in my dad's presence. And I'm not talking about my earthly father. I'm talking about the father. I say that because I know the same is true for you. If you stop reading God's word, or you're not reading, or let's just say you fell out two weeks ago, if I sit down with you and say, hey, when did things start to go south? You know what I promise you're going to say? Well, now that I think about it, it was a couple of weeks ago. Didn't you just say a couple minutes ago that you stopped reading about two weeks ago? Yeah, I didn't think about it. When I counsel with someone, that's one of the first things I say is, hey, you've been reading. You're reading the Bible. Well, I hadn't, it always is this, well, I hadn't been like I should. It's ironic that that's the same statement made. Then I say, when did things go south? Well, it was about, just about a couple weeks ago. Things just started to go downhill. And then I'll say, did you not just say it was a couple of weeks ago that you quit reading? Yeah. And I say, listen, we're going to stop talking right now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you to do something. I want you to go home tonight. And I want you to read about four chapters. And I want you to do that for the next week. And then we're going to get together next week this time. Okay. 
Haven't had anybody that said, no, I'm not going to do that. And you know what the amazing part is? I have yet to meet again with someone who said, you know, I've been in God's Word every day this week, reading four to five chapters, and I'll tell you, nothing's changing. Not one time. And 15 going on 16 years. Do you realize what's happened every single time? They've gone, I don't know how in the world that I fooled myself and got so out of touch with reading the Bible, and I now see it plain as day. I stopped reading, and things just went down like that. You know what the Bible is? It's the lamp into our feet and the light into our path. God's Word is a lamp into my feet and the light into my path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, when we're not trusting in our heart, when we're not leaning, when we're leaning on our own understanding, when we're in all our ways not acknowledging Him, God's not going to direct us when we don't allow Him to. All God's saying is, hey, I want to be your everything. It's the same picture that the Israelites in the Old Testament just imagine our life being the Israelites, being led. God was just saying, I want to be the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day for us. He's saying that I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to direct you in everything. I want to handle all your problems. I want to fight your battles for you. You just have to let me. You ever wondered why it's so difficult for us to let him? Why the lordship of Christ seems to be such a difficult thing? Because the enemy knows what happens when we're all in. He knows it's going to change everything, including subsequent generations of people in our lives, families. He knows that. So he is hell-bent on doing everything possible to make sure that, number one, you don't get in the Word, you don't spend time in prayer, you don't make it on Sunday morning, and everything that works, listen to what I said, everything that works, he'll keep allowing to work. Whether it's a wife, whether it's a husband, whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild, whether it's a grandmother, grandfather, friend, it doesn't matter what it is. I assure you, if you will let a sore back be the thing that prevents you from coming to church on Sunday morning, you will be astounded at how quickly every week you have a sore back, sore knee, sniffles, you know what I'm talking about? All these things that will allow to be effective distractors from the, the thing that God wants, which is sold out 100%, excuse-free submission and sacrifice to his plan, purpose, and will. If not, you'll have every one of those things that's effective, and it will be continual every single week. What are we going to allow to be? Are we going to allow... Those things to be effective, or are we going to say, no, Jesus, you died for me. You've given everything for me. I don't care what I have. Unless I have a true communicable disease, it's not the allergies we want to call it, and then we don't want to come for six months. No, I'm talking about what excuse do you really believe that we can give the God who gave his son for us? I can't, I'll be honest with you, on my worst physical pain day, I have no excuse not to dwell in God's presence and get together with the brothers and sisters in Christ he's blessed me with. God is so good, amen? Listen to verses 4 through 10. So then Festus, wanting to do a favor for the Jews, replied to Paul, 
Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem there to be tried before me on these charges? Paul said, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, even as you can very well see. If then I'm doing wrong or have done anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Leads the third and final thing I want to share with you this morning, and it is this. Fear no man, only God. Fear no man. No matter what man will threaten you with, it doesn't matter. You fear only God. Because, now, what does the Bible say? There's no authority but that which God's instituted. When we rebel against him, we rebel against God. What do you do? You respect and you submit to the authority that God's placed in your life. When they call you to stand in contradiction to the scripture, that's when we have the full authority to stand at total odds with someone who is an authority over us. Did you hear what I said? Only when they're asking you to defy what God has commanded you to do, do you have a right to stand in opposition to the authority in your life. It's happened, and it will happen again in life. We know all over the world that there's people who are at odds with their government or at odds with municipalities that they're living in and amongst because they are requiring them either not to love the Lord, not to fellowship, not to read the Bible, and they're able to be in opposition to it. Now, be aware there can be consequences. We know that. We know all the way back from Scripture. We look at Daniel. We look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what was God? He was ever faithful. God did exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think in their lives. Do you think that could happen one day and you could end up losing your life? As a result, it happens to Christians every day. Matter of fact, Scripture talks about in, in Scripture about the martyrs and their voices. When are you going to avenge us? We know that. There's a lot of people who've lost their lives for the kingdom. And by the way, no greater privilege than to lose your life for the one that gave his life for us. Amen? That is the glory of knowing Christ, the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. But my question is, when we even stand up for the Lord, when you have a conversation with your friends, do you really want to tell me that you would lay down your life for the gospel? You really honestly want to tell me when you won't stand firm, when you have someone who doesn't like what you are, represent, and you have the ability to stand firm and to stand up to that and say, you know, you might not like what I am, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I can't separate those natures. And you won't have those conversations because it's socially awkward. You really want to tell me that you are willing to give up your life when you won't stand in a fellowship of one or two people. Church, Paul should be an example to us of a, of a true disciple. A person who was redeemed, he was a killer of Christians. We see this. We know what Scripture says. We clearly see the picture of what Paul's life was, B.C., before Christ, but then after the Damascus Road conversion, Paul was a man who didn't just talk it, he lived it. Today, do you just talk it, or are you living it? And what you do today and don't do today will determine what you do and don't do tomorrow. If you're not willing to get in God's Word, do you wonder why you don't have the words to say? You don't know what to think? You don't know how to act? 
If you're not in God's word, how can you? How can you think that the Holy Spirit's going to speak through you when the sum total of your life has been disobedience in the first place? If you're not hiding God's word in your heart, are you wondering why you're continually falling victim to the sin, the flesh, and the brokenness of life, and the, the shell that we're battling as Christians? How can you expect anything different? If you're not doing what the Scripture says, why? It's insanity. Doing the same thing over, expecting a different outcome. Do you wondering why you're not growing in your walk with Christ? You're not desiring to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, but then you ask the question, I just don't know why. I mean, everybody else seems like they love to fellowship, and when I go, it seems like a chore. You're not in word, and you're not in prayer, and you're not enjoying the fellowship, and I would say, step back and say, God, reveal my heart to me. But it's probably because you're not walking with him. And the more you don't walk with him, the more comfortable it, in a sense, becomes outside of his presence. The deceitfulness of sin, it hardens our hearts. But today, what's so beautiful about it is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great picture of a heart that desires. By the way, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to death. If you have godly sorrow this morning, what is it going to do? It's going to lead you to realize that you've been out of step with what God's desire for your life is. And you can repent of that when you realize it. You realize that your actions have separated you from God. God didn't go anywhere. You excused yourself from his presence. But this morning, that can change. You can confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from how much unrighteousness? All. A-L-L, capital letters. Nothing you've done, nothing you've thought, nothing you've said that God will not completely, unequivocally wipe out and separate as far as the east is from the west. But what are you doing today? Are you going to make that, draw that line in the sand? Make that definitive turning point? confessing your sin, turning back to where you should have been in fellowship and walking with him? Or are you going to sit there today? I'll wait till next week. No, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't leave here out of fellowship with God. Leave here in the midst of his purpose, plan, and will for your life because there is no greater joy than walking with the Prince of Peace, and that's Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.